Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is God's word. Thanks, Emily. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be able to preach God's word to you this morning. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are continuing our series in the book of First John. And so as we continue, I just want to sell some koyok. The first is, um, we've got a book table downstairs, just some books we want to highlight to you. We've got a Commentary on the book of 1 John. This is, um, we want to commend this commentary, the Bible Speaks Today commentary to you, although there are a fair number of other commentaries that we would commend to you as well, if you come and ask us later. There's a book on the, ty- um, on the topic of assurance of faith, assurance of salvation. How do I know whether I'm a Christian? Which is a very key topic in the book of 1 John. And you can look at this uh, at the bookstore downstairs as well. And lastly, this book, True Community by Jerry Bridges, uh, is on the topic of what community in the church looks like and how we can be, as a church, more like what God intended. Before we continue, maybe I can pray for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a community to learn your word in. We thank you for Christ Jesus who has redeemed us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that writes your word on our hearts. And so we pray that this morning that you would open our eyes, open our ears, ready our hearts to hear your word, to see the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One day a long time ago, when I was in primary school, I was tasked with getting my sister a birthday card. And this was during a time, I don't know if you all remember, you know, they had those machines where you could custom design your own cards and then get it printed on the spot. It's it's quite a long time ago, but... So I went to one of these machines, I chose the design, and I wrote a few festive words, and then came to the all-important part of the card where I had to sign off. And with all my primary school wisdom and wit, trying to be funny, instead of signing off with the conventional with love, I decided to sign off with hatred. I went home, and it turns out that my mother 
did not find it as funny as I did. She had a clear idea of how she wanted her children to relate to each other, and certainly it was not hatred, but love. On a side note, thank God for correction tape. God also has a clear idea of how He wants His children to relate to each other. He wants us to love and not to hate. And this is our topic for our passage this morning. So I encourage us, if you have your Bibles, keep it open. We're going to be dipping in and out. But before we zoom into our passage for this morning, let's zoom out and let's remind ourselves of the big picture of the book of 1 John, where we've come from and where we're going. John is writing to a church where lots of people were asking the question, how do I know whether I'm a Christian? How do I know whether I am truly saved? There were lots of different teachings going around in the church, and so John is writing to them to teach them how they may have the certainty, confidence, assurance of their salvation to know that they are truly saved, that they are true Christians. A good summary of John's answer to the question can be found in 2 verse 3, which Caleb taught us last week. How do I know whether I'm a Christian? How do I know that I've come to know Jesus? And by this we know we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. And this is something that John repeats throughout his letter, that a true Christian should keep God's commandments. A true Christian should keep God's commandments, not as a way of saving ourselves, but as a way of identifying for ourselves if we are Christian and to teach us how to live as a Christian. So as we move on into into verse 7, John moves from talking about all of God's commandments to focusing down on just one commandment. You you, you see it in in the slide on there, right? How we move from the many commandments, we see that in red in verses 3 and 4, down to the singular, the one commandment in verse 7 that John describes as being both old and new. So as, as John teaches us how to be sure of our salvation or what a Christian should do if they are a true Christian, John focuses on this one commandment. And for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to be asking three questions, just three questions about this commandment. What does God command us to do? Why should we do it? And how can we do it? What does God command us to do? Why should we do it? And how? So the first question, what does God command us to do? God commands us to love all Christians. God commands us to love all Christians. The commandment that John referred in verses 7 to 8, the commandment that was described as both old and new, refers to Jesus' commandment during His ministry, which we see, for example, in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You see, right, it's it's an old commandment because it's a commandment that's been there, that God has given us from the very beginning. It's throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Leviticus 19, verse 18, the commandment to love your neighbor. But it's also a new commandment because during Jesus' ministry, He was constantly repeating it and highlighting as an important way, the important way that we are to live as His disciples. And so this old and new commandment to love others is what John is repeating for us in our passage in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. I'll read it for us. 
Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, in, in John's words, to be in the light means to have a relationship with God, to have fellowship with God, to have fellowship with those, those who are in a relationship with God should love their Christian brothers and sisters. Okay, I just need a caveat. This does not mean that we don't have to love non-Christians. There are plenty of other passages in the Bible, such as Matthew 5.44, that tell us we have to love everyone, especially our enemy, especially those who are not our friends and brothers and sisters. But in our passage for today, John is focusing on loving Christians because that's the particular problem that he was writing about in the church. So let me take, make two observations on verses 9 to 11. Observation number one, we need to change what we mean, what we understand by the terms love and hate. Because verses 9 to 11 don't seem like much in the beginning, but it's actually, causing, it's actually calling us to completely change to overhaul what do we understand by love and hate. So think about it this way. Imagine if someone were to ask you a question, what is your attitude towards a certain person in GBC? Well, how do you feel about this so-and-so in GBC? Uh, we would usually answer the question based on a range. If the range were one to five, we would think one would be hate, two would be dislike, three would be neutral, four would be like, and five would be love. Being Singaporean, we're very paisé to use extremes. If we were to poll anyone now, chances are, for most of the people, for most of us, the answers would be between two, three, and four. Actually, for most, when we, when we, when we think about most people in our church, our, our answer will probably be three, neutral. Okay, law, not good, not bad, okay, law. But what John is actually saying for us is that when it comes to God's people, we don't have any range. There are only two possible answers, to love or to hate. If we're not actively loving a person the way that God calls us to love, God says that He sees it as hate, even if that's not how we would describe it. It's quite a scary thought. So what does God expect of us when He calls us to love? We could spend a long, long time talking about this, but let me just give us three factors from Scripture, three points from Scripture that teach us what does God mean when He calls us to love. Firstly, when God calls us to love, He calls us to love practically. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Secondly, God calls us to love self-sacrificially. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He calls us to love comprehensively, meaning in everything that we do. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Notice even in these three verses, there is no space for only loving the people that we like or the people we're close to. These are commandments for us to treat everyone in the church. And we see from this, when God calls us to love, He means for us to 
actively care and care and love and value someone, to be patient and humble and not irritable or resentful in all things. So, okay, a bit theoretical. What does this look like in practice? Let's start with some negative examples that I certainly can identify with. When I hear about someone in the church that is in need and I don't bother trying to help that person, that's not neutrality or indifference, that's hate. When I have an argument with someone and instead of resolving the problem, I just decide to leave the person be, that's hate. When I'm angry at someone and complain about, about that person behind that person's back, that's not venting, that's hate. When I go to church and I avoid people that I don't like or that I find difficult to talk to, that is not me being scared. God says, that's hate. It's a really, really high high standard, if we're not actively loving someone in the church the way God instructs us to love, if there's someone in the church that we're not willing to give our lives for, if there's someone with a practical need that we don't try to help, God says that we're hating that person and we are actually in darkness. Okay, so there's negative examples. Let's think of some positive ones. Positive examples that I have personally had the privilege of witnessing during my time at GBC. Love is Uncle Hiket mopping the floor after an event at church. Love is charming CG volunteering to help spring clean the house of another church member. Love is Uncle Kong Wan following and Uncle Kok Wee taking their lunch times to go and visit members who are sick and to pray for them. Love is our sound crew, Wen Siu and Tershian, even though she gave birth last week, coming and serving in our sound ministry behind right now so they can serve us and asking someone to help look after Johanna. Love is all the Sunday school teachers who take time during the week to prepare so that they can serve our children so that we can be in the service. Love is when Nathaniel and Gloria came up to Jess and myself and asked if they could help babysit our children so that we can have a date night. Love is Sandy and her team spending time with the kids from Grace Haven. And I know that Uncle Kim Cheng CG just spent time just this last Saturday to take them out and to just show them love. Love is the prayer warriors in our church who don't ask for any recognition but pray faithfully pray for each and every one of us every single week. Love is when Aaron and Angel and Chuan Sin and Paisian ordered lunch into church so they could accompany my children when Jess and I were having a meeting. Love is the many of you last week who made your way up here to welcome the new members of our church. And the many of you I see here seated who are sitting with someone who you don't know well, but you want to welcome into church. Love is when all of you take time to get to know and to welcome the visitors in our church downstairs. My friends, there are many examples of what hate looks like, but in our church, there are many, many examples of love. And I've named a few names, but there are so many more names to name, so many more examples to talk about. These are just my experiences. So can I encourage us to do one of two things? No, to encourage us to do two things. Firstly, if, we, if you, like me, have been encouraged by someone else's show of love, why, would you take time to love them by just telling them how much their love has encouraged you. 
write down the name of the person right now so that you can remember to go and tell that person afterwards. But secondly, as we have been encouraged to show love as shown by others, God is asking us this really important question. Is there anyone in our church that we are not loving? Or as God says, to put it another way, is there anyone in our church that we are hating? The challenge to us as a church is that as we go through 1 John, as we learn more and more what God means when He calls us to love, that we will continually ask ourselves, how can I love the church better? Is there anyone in the church that I am not loving? And just as I've asked that question, I'm sure that for many of us, there's already a name that's popped into our heads. Someone in GBC, or maybe someone who's moved on from a GBC to a different church, that perhaps we realize that we know deep down in our hearts, we are having difficulty loving. Would we listen to God's whisper right now and write down the name of that person on our notes, in our phones? And I don't want to pretend that I know what you're going through, the things the person has said, the things this person has done to you or the people you love. And by the world's standards, you could very well be justified in hating the person or at least cutting that person off. And perhaps that's how we've learned to cope, by burying and avoiding the issue and settling for being polite and cordial being neutral. But I'm afraid that this morning, especially for the person, that name that God has put in our heart, God is calling us not to settle for the world's standards, but for His standards. And God's standards are that there's no such thing as a good reason to hate someone. That's my second observation. Note the absoluteness in John's writings. He gives us no wiggle room for any exceptions. John is saying that even if I've done nothing wrong, even if the other person is completely in the wrong, I still have the choice between love and hate, and God commands us to choose love. And bear in mind, in, in, in this context that John is writing to, John is writing to a church that is going through the mother of all fights over doctrine. People are leaving the church, people are teaching the wrong gospel, people are even saying that Jesus was not God. There's such an upheaval in the church that people are asking, how do I know if I'm truly a Christian? So many people are saying different things. And yet John is telling these people, no matter what has been said, to those that we count as Christian brothers and sisters, even those that leave to go to another church, there can never be a good enough excuse for us not to love them. You see, even if that person has slandered, offended, hurt or disappointed us, Yesterday or years ago, in our face or behind our backs, in writing, in voice, over WhatsApp, social media, email, any means necessary, whether we deserved it or not, about us or about someone we cared deeply about, even if this person has a different theology or a different doctrine from us, as long as we believe in the same gospel, as long as we serve the same king, God commands us to choose love. And remember our brothers and sisters, it's not our brand of love, but God's brand of love, who would love indeed and in truth, who would lay down His life for the same people who nailed Him to the cross, who would bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. God tells us, commands us to choose love. But why? Why should we love all Christians? Two reasons from our text. Firstly, well, simply because God commands us to do so. 
Some of you may have already spotted the repetition in verses 7 and 8 in our passage of chapter 2. The word commandment is used four times, and the tone of the passage, I'm sure some of us caught it already, reinforces this sense of command. The tone is instructive. He's telling us, clearly telling us, what we must do. And it's the same throughout the Bible. God's call to love is constantly described as a commandment, an instruction with authority from God Himself. And throughout John's writings in his Gospels and his letters, he keeps repeating the word love. In all the books in the New Testament, the word love appears the most, firstly, in the book of the Gospel of John, and then in John's letter, his first letter. The books where he uses the word, where the word love is used the most is in John's writings. And John keeps repeating it for us because he wants to hammer it into us the importance of God's command for us to love all Christians. We should love all Christians because firstly, God commands us to, and secondly, because that's what God created us for. The story of David and Bathsheba, King David and Bathsheba is well known to many of us. Israel was at battle. The kings were supposed to go out with the army into battle, but David decided to stay at home. And while at home, he sees Bathsheba bathing, and she's the wife of one of the top warriors in his army. And David has an affair with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. Trying to cover it up, David recalls the warrior and tries to get the warrior to sleep with Bathsheba, his own wife, but he doesn't. And so desperation growing, David arranges to have the warrior killed. And then when the death is reported to David, David is able to casually pretend like he had nothing to do with it and just says that the casualties and deaths are just part of battle. This story is a familiar spiral of sin where sin leads to another sin and another sin and another sin. As David's heart grew harder and harder and grew more distant and distant from God. This is what verses 10 and 11 are talking about. God created us to live in light, not in darkness. Choosing to live in sin, to live in darkness instead of the light, is toxic to our souls because that's not what we were created for. Verse 10 talks about how living in the light, following God's commands, will in turn enable us to live lives pleasing to God. We have no cause of stum- to have no cause of stumbling which you see in the verse, means to have no temptations to sin, to avoid these temptations, to have no cause to stumble ourselves in our walk with God. On the other hand, verse 11 describes the opposite. What happens when we choose to walk not in the light, but in sin and darkness instead? The person doesn't know where he's going, and the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, it calls to mind those creatures living in the caves or in the deep, in the ocean where there's no light. And over time, they lose their ability to see and then they lose their eyes altogether. Except what John is talking about when he talks about blindness, is not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Losing the ability to see the truth and light of the gospel and God's commands. It's what, John, it's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so John is telling us that when we choose to obey God's commands, any of God's commands, but in this case, choosing to hate others instead of to love, it has an impact on our own soul. And the darkness itself that we are in will blind our spiritual eyes. And the scary thing is that for, many, for all of us, just like David, we don't realize when we're getting lost and blinded as we get sucked into the cycle of sin. When we choose to hate someone, when we reject or are hostile to that person, we are denying them their rightful status in God's creation and we are going against God's design for our church. Our church, the church, was created to love and not to hate. And hatred that goes unchecked, rejecting God's commands in place of our own is sin. And like all sin, leads to our soul turning in on ourselves. Anyone who's experienced hatred towards someone before would know how hatred can so easily consume us and over time can come to even define who we are. At the same time, anyone who's experienced hatred towards someone will know how difficult it is to put away that hatred, let alone to love someone. And so for any one of us who's had difficulties loving someone, our passage gives us two things in how we can love other Christians. Firstly, by living in the light of God's love. Living in the light of God's love. There's a word that appears in verses 6 and 10, the word abide. You see it highlighted in, your verse, in, in our verse here. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Two verse 6. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So I had to look up the word abide, and the word abide, in these verses at least, means to dwell in or to live to. to have this, it has this idea of having a very, very close intimate relationship with. And in fact, John uses the same word to describe the relationship that Jesus has with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father. John 1.32 says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. And later on in John, it says, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His words. The word for remained, the word for dwells, are the same as the previous word, abide. The idea of closeness, intimacy. And the, so we see that the closeness, the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, so close that He could say that He and the Father were one, they are one. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, that's the intimacy we have with Christ. But here's the catch. The intimacy we, have, we can have with the, with the light of Christ is also the same intimacy with the darkness of sin that we are born into. And so we have to make a choice to live in light or to live in darkness, to abide in light, to remain in light, or to abide, to live, to remain in darkness. That's what Jesus Himself said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We see it again. I've highlighted it for you as in the slide. The word remain here is the same word that was translated in the previous verses as live in, to abide. The same idea of intimacy and closeness. Jesus came into the world as light 
so that we might have that choice to choose to live in His light instead of living, of remaining, of abiding in the darkness. And once we have lived in, abided in, dwelt in God's light, experienced His love, tasted His goodness, been comforted by His grace, the decision to choose light over darkness is obvious. You see, my friends, the reason why many of us choose darkness over light is because we have not seen the light. The reason why we have difficulty loving others is because we do not know that Jesus loves us. So I just want to say to all of us here that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going to do, no matter what you've thought, or said, even if you've chosen darkness over and over again, even if the darkness is knocking at our door day after day, Jesus loves you. Jesus is worth it. The light is worth it. Choose light. Don't choose darkness. The light is marvelous. Jesus is more wonderful, more loving, more gracious, more satisfying than anything the darkness can even pretend to offer. And once we see how marvelous God's light is, we, don't, we won't need any other motivation to do what we can, what we need to flee that darkness. And God's light transforms us once we're in the light to see the world through His eyes. And we live the world through gospel priorities and not our own. Imagine you go to war and you're on the front line, you're fighting against the enemy, and the enemy is advancing on you, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, your body suddenly says, hey, I don't like your socks. Yes, I cannot, I cannot work with you. I really cannot tahan the colour of your socks. What would you say? You'd be like, what? It really doesn't matter. The enemy is out there. We've got a war going on. We're on the same team, fighting the same cause. We've got to stick together because out here, we've got no one other than each other. The socks don't matter. Choosing to hate instead of love a fellow Christian is actually like fighting over the colour of our socks in war. Once we realise how much God loves us, how marvellous it is to live in His light, how disgusting and terrible the darkness is, how dangerous the enemy is, and how much work there is to be done, everything else will seem small and insignificant, like it really, really doesn't matter. Just this uh, last week... Uh, a team of us, this week, last week, the previous week, a, a team of us went down to a children's home um, and I was, we were able to share about the story of the prodigal son and, and the message to, to the people at the home was that about the father's relentless love for them. And, and during the discussions, one of them was telling one of our members that how what do you mean that God loves me when, when I've got all these problems? How can you say that? And as I was preparing for, for this message, that, that incident was just continuing in me because that's what matters. That's what matters. Preaching God's love. Showing God's love. You want to know how I can tell that God loves you? Well, through me. God uses me to love them. 
And God uses the way we love each other to show others how much God loves them. Because if we as a church can stop caring about the socks and we love each other no matter what, others will see, hey, that's, that's, a, that's a different brand of love. My security is in Christ, so I can be the first to make the apology even when others may see it as losing face. Jesus has forgiven me much, so I can forgive much even when the other party doesn't think they've done anything wrong. I think my idea is better, but for the sake of unity, I'm willing to compromise because there's a war going on out here and the last thing we need is to fight against each other over things that in the light of eternity really don't matter. I will fight for the gospel, but for everything else, I'll choose for the sake of the fight for the gospel, I'll choose not to fight, to love instead of hate. Brothers and sisters, we were living in darkness. We hated the light and hated Jesus. But Jesus, the light of the world, living in union, abiding in, remaining in, living in union with God the Father, chose to love us in the face of our ocean of hate. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He reached down into our darkness, as the song said just now, gave up His union with the Father, took His darkness upon, took our darkness upon Himself so that we may have union with His glorious light. The darkness may tempt. The, mar- the darkness may seem like it's the only thing we have left. It may feel like the light has given up on us. The darkness may seem to give what the light cannot, but once we realize, when we realize how much God loves each and every one of us, when we sit, and, and not just to tell it to our brains, but to sit down and really think about it. When we meditate on it, think about it, preach it to our very souls. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's stop having all those excuses that we have. Let's stop thinking just about what the darkness can offer. When we think about what the light can offer, and when we preach it to our very souls, a love that covers all sin, like a cup that is overflowing, the love of Christ will overflow out of us into the way we treat everyone else. So how do we live? How do we live and love others? Firstly, it's to live in the light of God's love. And secondly, it's to live in the light of God's power. When we live in God's light, He doesn't just lavish love upon us. He also gives us the power to love and forgive, not just others, but could I say, gives us the power and love to forgive ourselves. Look at me at uh, 2 verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I've underlined the word because, because verse 8 is a cause and effect. The new commandment is true in Christ and in the Christians, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Let's start with the second half of the statement after the because. The true light refers to Jesus. This is typical of John. You can see, for example, in John 1, 9 and John 8, 12, where he also refers to Jesus as the true light. 
And because the true light, because Christ, the true light has come, the darkness is passing away, meaning the power, the hope that the darkness, the evil one has over the world has been broken once and for all by the true light of Jesus. What it means is that we all have sinned and we deserve to live in darkness and this darkness had power over us. But when Jesus died on the cross, the darkness that came over the land just mirrored the darkness that He was taking upon Himself. The darkness that He took upon Himself, He did so that He can break the power, the hold that darkness has over us so that we can choose to live in His light instead. And so here's the amazing thing, which we see in the first part of verse 8. Because of this, because of Jesus' death on the cross, the commandment that God gives us to love, you see what it says? It's true in Him and in you. You referring to all Christians. Let's break it down. The command to love everyone is true in Jesus, obviously because His death on the cross was the supreme example of love. And the command to love everyone is true in each of us who have put our faith in Him because on one hand, Jesus has fulfilled it on our behalf. It means that no matter what we do, even when we fail to love others as we ought, our salvation is safe because Jesus has already lived the commandment on our behalf. When we, read the, when we read this passage, it's very easy to come away thinking we're dipping in and out of light and darkness. When we, when we love, we're in light. When we hate, we're in darkness. And then we jump back to the light. But that's not what the passage is saying. The passage is saying the commandment is already true in Him and in you. Therefore, you are already in the light. Therefore, live as those who are in the light. But the commandment is also true in us in a second way. Not only is it true because Jesus has lived it on our behalf, it's also true because now Jesus has given us the power to live it out, transforming us so that we have the power to follow Jesus' example, to love everyone, even those who hate us. It's like a person who was paralyzed and unable to walk, and this person has surgery that gives him or her the ability to walk again. That person now has the ability to walk but he still has to go through all those hours of practice and therapy to learn to walk again, to, to learn to do in his life what the surgery has already made true in him. So let's think now about that person, that name that came into our head, that person that we have had difficulty loving. Think of all the times that we've tried to forgive and to love. Or think of how helpless we felt when we couldn't bring ourselves to forgive or, or love, when we think about that person, all that bubbles up is resentment and bitterness and pain. And now think of verse 8. The commandment to love is true in Him and in you. My friends, we can choose love. We have the power to do it because it is already true in us. If you take away nothing else from today, I just want to take away that, that, that phrase. When we need to love instead of hate, just think, it is already true in me. I'd like to end with a story. Um, when my brother and I were growing up, 
we, we get along well now, but when we were growing up, we didn't really get along well with each other. At first, when we were younger, it was okay, but then as we entered secondary school and we entered puberty, <laughs> the hormones and the, and the egg toughness started to seep into our lives, and then we started to, we, we were constantly fighting. If you want more details, you can ask my parents. <laughs> and I remember there was one time when we were fighting, and it was getting quite, it was getting quite ugly, la, and we were in the living room of our house, and we were fighting with each other, and our father was sitting on the sofa between us, and he was trying to mediate, but he wasn't doing a very good job. <laughs> and, he was, and we were fighting, and we were challenging each other. And then, after a while, I can remember this, right? My father, our father, he said, um, he just looked at us, like, and with a look of a, of a father whose heart has been completely broken. And then, there were tears in his eyes, and he just said, you are brothers, you know. Jesus reached down into our darkness, took our darkness on ourselves, on himself, so that we could be brothers and sisters, so that we can love, live in love and not in hate. And I, and I just want to ask us to ask ourselves this morning, if Jesus were to come right now, would he be pleased with us? With the way we're treating each other? Or would he have tears in his eyes? Because we are brothers and sisters. And he died, he took on our darkness so that we no longer have to live in darkness. The call for us, for every single one of us, my friends, my brothers and sisters this morning, is that Jesus reached down into our darkness so that we can live in the light of God's love and power. Would we love each other? Let's pray. I'd like to just give us a moment to come to God on our own. I like to give us some time to do business with God. For many of us, there's at least a name of a person. Or maybe I could spin it differently. Maybe that person you need to love and forgive is yourself. This is not a time to think about what other people have done to us. This is a time for for us to think about what God has done for us. Would we ask God to help melt our heart of stone? Would we ask God to shine light into that dark corner of our hearts that we have kept locked away for a long, long time? we ask God to help us start to love and to put away the hate. Could be someone in church, could be someone who's left the church, could be someone who may very well be in your family.
for many of us, it's, it's something we could have, we might have held on to for a long time. And so I encourage us to, to talk to someone we trust. One or two of the pastors will be staying up front in the sanctuary after the service has ended. If you want someone to pray with you, or if you just want to talk to someone about this, talk to someone. You can talk to any of the pastors. Talk to your cell group leader. Talk to your friend. Let's pray. Lord God, you have sent Jesus into our darkness so that we may enter the light. We are sorry for all the times we have chosen darkness instead of light. We're sorry for all the times we have chosen hate instead of love. And we thank you that even though you knew we would do this, you still loved us anyway. And so now I pray that for us as individuals, as your sheep, that we would, that today would be the start of healing, be the start of forgiveness, be the start of love. And I pray that we as a church, for us as a church, this would be the start. I take that back. I pray that we would continue to love all others as Christ has first loved us. And I pray that as we sing the song of response, as we think about the wondrous cross, that we would think about what the depths of your love for us, the extent of your suffering, and know that because of the height and breadth and length and depth of your love that we can't even begin to fathom, we can boast of your love and we can, we can make a pledge to obey the commandment that is true in Jesus and in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.